Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Attention, true crime enthusiast, searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Noel is on an adventure. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Decant. And most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. On a previous episode, Matt, we opened the show, you and I, asking uh, each other where we would travel if we could travel anywhere in the world. Yes. And we... You know, we don't talk about it too explicitly on the air here, but we, whether for work or for other endeavors, we end up traveling like as a group and as individuals more often than not. You know what I mean? Yes, correct. And I cannot remember the verdict or our answers to the question of where we would travel 
I'm going to change mine now to Germany. I want to go back to Germany. I just want to see what that place is like. You want to see what their whole thing is? Yeah, I have a friend named Holger who who lived with us for a while who lives out there. I want to go visit him. Oh, that's great. It's always great to visit a country where you have a connection with someone who lives there. Yes, exactly. But And, you know, on other previous episodes, Ben, mm-hmm. we talked about the shape of our planet. <laughs> We did. We did. Is that foreshadowing? <laughs> it is. Well, just to, you know, remind people that, yes, this is a large spherical-like structured planet, as most of the planets are, at least the ones we've observed. And that means that our planet has these these two things on it called poles. Right. Why would you go to the poles? In that conversation that I've had about traveling anywhere um, on the world, anywhere terrestrially, one of the questions I would get is why on earth would you want to go to the North Pole or why on earth would you want to go to Antarctica? And, you know, it's it's a valid question. I would say one of the coolest things about going to Antarctica is that so few people throughout human history have ever made it there and returned alive. There you go. That's worth it. So, you know, bragging rights, neat little stamp on your passport, which is very dodgy from a legal perspective. Or maybe you just really enjoy the cold. Or maybe you're just super into the cold, you know, and sleeping in your fridge isn't cutting it anymore. It's true, Matt. You're absolutely right. Planet Earth is very basic information. Planet Earth has two poles, and they are both cold, inhospitable, alien environments. These poles are places where human beings are not built to be. To the far, far north, we have the Arctic, surrounded by the Arctic Circle. To the far, far south, we have the continent of Antarctica. Uh, We've done several episodes on Antarctica. I was surprised to remember. We did one. uh, Let's see. what's What's our most recent one we did? Uh, I, d- I couldn't tell you. I know we've discussed several times the various uh, attempts to get to, to Antarctica and set up bases uh, f- oh, yeah. from what? the world wars on. Yeah, what happens if there's a murder in Antarctica? That was one of our most recent ones. Something, Yeah, something along that line. And then my favorite one to date has been What's Beneath the Arctic Ice, which is one of the videos on our YouTube channel. That was a great one. Talking about this, the, the strange research that could be going on there because that's really all that happens there. Right. Or the lethal diseases that may just wake up, you know. There's something almost Lovecraftian about it. But for the bulk of human history, very, very few people, or relatively few people, have managed to visit these parts of the world. Even fewer people have managed to visit these parts of the world and return alive to tell the tale. And you have to ask yourself, of course it makes sense that few people have managed to visit the poles. Why on earth would you? Let's talk a little bit about the Arctic and the Arctic Circle, which is going to be the the primary focus for today's show. The Arctic is a region of the planet. It's north of the Arctic Circle, which we'll define in a moment, and it includes the Arctic Ocean, Greenland, Baffin Island, other smaller islands in the north, and the very, very northern areas of Europe, Russia, Alaska, and Canada. That's right. Um, And really, when you're talking about the Arctic, you're talking about stuff that is around the Arctic Ocean. So in, there are several seas that are up there along the Russian coast uh, and several other like bodies of water. But it's really the Arctic Ocean up there. Um, and 
you know, there are really five nations that you're talking about. If you're talking about the Arctic powers or the Arctic countries, the controlling powers up there, you've got Russia, the United States with Alaska, Norway, Denmark and slash Greenland, and uh, Canada. These are these are the people or the powers you're talking about when you're when you're going to be discussing maybe land rights and usage rights of that area. And that's the that's by the narrowest definition of the Arctic as a whole. Yes. Just just top down Arctic Ocean and the five closest nations around it. Yes. The region has also been defined as the area above the Arctic Circle and in Russia, this area is referred to as something that translates to the high north. And if we if we go by that definition, then we add some other countries to the mix. Iceland, Sweden, and Finland also become Arctic powers even though they don't have a coast on the Arctic Ocean. So these eight nations together, they form what's called the Arctic Council. And they've got a great website you can check out, by the way. They do. <laughs> the Arctic Council. It's, it's uh, arctic-council.org. What makes the website great, Matt? Uh, it's very difficult to read because of the, uh, the color choices that they've made. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but it's also – it's got a lot of cool information in there. And I don't know. Just check it out if you're interested in exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about when we talk about the poles, one thing that makes the Arctic Circle very, very different from Antarctica is that this is pretty populated. I mean sparsely populated, but pretty populated. There are about four million people who live there. Of those four million people, about half are Russian. And this is still the case despite the fact that living in the high north <laughs> Living in the high north of Russia is a, is a rough life and the area has been losing population for the last several decades. So we've mentioned the Arctic Circle. What is that? It is essentially an imaginary line. Our species has created it. We all agree that that's a bully idea and so we're going to keep it around. It's located at 66.6 degrees north latitude. And it's we use that latitude as a way to define or demarcate the southernmost part of the Arctic. Every part of the land and sea within the Arctic Circle is very, very cold. And historically speaking, much of it has just been covered with ice. In addition to the temperature, just the regular weather sucks too. Yeah, it really does. If if you see a picture of the Arctic Circle, why it's called the Arctic Circle, because that latitude makes this really nice circle there. And the ice is the defining factor that Ben is talking about here if you're, if you're looking at an image of it uh, from the top down. It's – it's a rough place. So in the midwinter months in this area, the sun never really rises uh, at all. It just doesn't. You just don't have sun essentially and temperatures stay very, very low because of that. And then they reach massive lows to about negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit at the higher latitudes in this region because, um, you know, you do have varying latitudes there. Uh, and then in the summer months, like if you go a little bit further south, you get 24 hours of sunlight a day. And that has a pretty big effect on that region because it's going to melt all the the sea, you know, the ice that's coming up, mm-hmm. right? That's being formed there from the the super cold region. Um, and this is one of the main reasons that icebergs end up breaking off from this like frozen northern area mm-hmm. and then floating uh, south. 
And right. this, this, now this right here is one of the big things we're going to talk about later um, when it comes to the economics of this region and some of the, uh, the reasons powers are fighting to control this region because this ice as it's melting from the north and goes south, you can't – it's very difficult to get ships through there. Mm-hmm. And these, these crushing temperatures, just to put this in perspective for everybody outside of what the United States, Myanmar and Namibia. Sure. <laughs> Negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit is negative 45.5 degrees Celsius. So I I hope that some of us listening were like negative 50. It's cold, but what is that? I hope that really impacted you. We brought it over to Celsius. Here are freezing temperatures uh, where my hand is uh, around my chest. And down there near the floor is where negative 50 is. Yes. Yeah, that's great. You're absolutely right. The icebergs breaking off, the the rogue ice floating around. I call it rogue, but yeah. really humans are the rogue element here. Uh, this stuff makes it very difficult and dangerous to move ships through, to move vessels across the water, or it has historically. That has not stopped people from living in the Arctic Circle. This is not new territory. This is not a brand new suburb. People have lived there for thousands and thousands of years. If we wanted to ballpark, we could say the earliest people were around 9,000 years ago. It's, it's an ancient land. Uh, and while they've lived there, it hasn't been easy to do so. It turned out that despite the thousands of years of human civilization, admittedly sparse human civilization, but human civilization nonetheless, no one actually reached the northernmost point. No one reached the North Pole until the beginning of the 20th century as far as we know officially. In 1909, a guy named Robert E. Perry became the first documented human being to physically reach the North Pole. Again, this brutal part of the world, he was not by any means the first guy to try it. He was just the first to make it that we know of. That's right. And and when we say that's what we know, it's because this guy, Robert E. Perry, Perry, Robert E. Perry, uh, he was well known to us. There were a lot of other indigenous peoples that were living around this area far before that, at least that we understand. So if you're talking about the 4 million people that currently exist and live there, you're talking about mostly Inuit, uh, Sami, and, um, you know, people who live in Russia. Mm -hmm. And navigating the Arctic because of the ice that you mentioned, Matt, and because of the the temperatures – It's incredibly dangerous and potentially incredibly rewarding on a couple of fronts. First, the realm of commerce. The ability to transport goods across this area of ocean can present tremendous economic advantages to any nation or corporation controlling shipping routes. Yeah, because you're also going to have problems navigating this by air, this area because of the the temperatures sometimes, because of other issues that you're dealing with at the Northern Pole. So having a giant ship getting through the water with all of the, the freight that it could carry, that would be hugely advantageous. Um, the other problem here is the realm of military might because if you could, let's say you're Russia and you already have roughly 50% of the surrounding landmass of the Arctic Circle, if you can move forward and fully navigate the entire Arctic Ocean well and easily, then 
it really changes something that we've mentioned before over here called force projection, which is just having the ability to uh, have a ship with weapons on it wherever you want it to be at any time. And up until recently, the presence of all that ice made both of these goals um, thought exercises. You know what I mean? Hopes. Hypothetical scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. Not attainable things. And let's take a a brief – a brief side trip all the way down south to Antarctica just to mention it because a lot of these things will apply to Antarctica as well. Southernmost continent on Earth – it's the least populous, surprise, surprise, by far. Uh, that's because it's also uh, the possessor of several superlatives. It is not only the driest place in the world, it is also the coldest place in the world and, sorry, Chicago, the windiest place in the world. It's not a country. It has no government. There is no native population. The entire continent is set aside for now as a scientific preserve. But that hasn't stopped countries from laying territorial claims. Britain, France, Norway, Australia, New Zealand, Chile, and Argentina have all laid claims. Um, The Nazi party, or Germany did as well during World War II. Military activities banned on this continent, and it's also illegal to prospect for minerals or oil. Fifty different nations, including Russia, China, and the U.S., have agreed with this Antarctic Treaty, but everybody's all about bending the rules, especially as it gets easier and easier to find stuff there. So that's how it stands now. We're going to spend most of our time on the Arctic today, but it's important to note that some of the same concerns that apply to the North Pole apply, or at least will apply, to the South Pole. And the big question is, what happens when all this changes? So, yeah, we, we've really been just looking at the background for a lot of this stuff. But what happens when uh, when some of the ice melts, when it gets a little warmer, when some of these uh, things that were just bubble thought bubbles in someone's head in a situation room become an actual actionable plan? That's what we're looking at today. Right. We've explored a bit of the history. We've taken a brief look at the present-day situation. Yet we are living in a time rife with Malcolm Gladwell-esque tipping points. They're dangling, looming, capering, swinging wildly on the horizon. Yes, sure, the climate in these areas is changing, but the economic, geopolitical, and military landscapes are changing as well. And the race began years ago. It was just not on your mainstream news networks. It's becoming increasingly apparent that this may well be one of the next great global contest. And the outcome of this race may well determine the course of human affairs for decades, perhaps centuries to come. In short, who will control the Arctic? And we'll get to that right after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Here's where it gets crazy. Everybody wants a piece. That's it. Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of powers that are interested, and not just the ones who are are immediately adjacent to the Arctic Circle. Right, right. So we know that different countries have historically laid claim to the Arctic, right? And mm-hmm. there have been numerous disputes about this, which we can explore. But the accelerated trend of changing climate or temperatures in these areas is also accelerating the rate of change in geopolitics of the Arctic. So yeah, if we want to take a quick look at the uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's 2018 report card, specifically the Arctic report card, you can find that at arctic.noaa.gov if you want to follow along here. But in their highlights, they're talking about surface air temperatures in the Arctic, Uh, They've continued to warm at twice the rate relative to the rest of the globe, which uh, is troubling. (laughs) The uh, air temperatures there for the past five years have exceeded all previous records since 1900. 
Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff in here that you can look at specifically talking about sea ice. Um, let's see. Sea ice remained younger, thinner, and covered less area in the, uh, than in the past. The 12 lowest extents of the satellite record have occurred in the last 12 years in the Arctic. And uh, there's a ton like – if you really want to dig deep into the information, you can find it there on the report card. But essentially it's just saying that the ice is receding. There's mm-hmm. less of it. It's younger ice. Mm-hmm. It's not building up the thick levels that it used to. Um, it really is happening and it's happening now and it has been happening. And this is catastrophic for the creatures, for the wildlife that yes. have – adapted over millions and millions of years to live in this environment. It's it's terrible for those. It's, this is this is one of the worst times in polar bear history to be a polar bear. However, for humans in the short term, if we look at the checkers game rather than the chess game, this it could be a bonanza. A cavalcade of money to be made, assuming that we still practice um, the economic ideology of money in the near future, which we probably will because we are not a super creative species. This development, should it continue, will unlock massive hydrocarbon and mineral resources in the Arctic and in the continental shelf. This could also – at the same time, make a year-round northern sea route practical via two ways, uh, Russia's Northeast Passage or Canada's Northwest Passage. And the reason this is important is because it could cut transit time to ship from somewhere in East Asia to Europe or North America's East Coast by 30%, which may not sound like a lot, but it's huge. Oh, yeah, it's huge. Like if you ever get a check – and taxes are 30% of that, you, you know, you'll really feel it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. And then, uh, and as we're thinking about this, it's not, you know, we mentioned Canada's Northwest Passage and Russia, Russia's Northeast Passage. Mm-hmm. It's not just those countries, those nations that would be using those passages. It's, it, this has wider implications. Yes. Yes. This has wider implications. It goes down to the argument of what should be considered international waters and what should be considered sovereign waters, right? Well, and then even if it's not international waters, uh, countries and nations working together with trade deals to use those waters. Right. And it's just, there's so many, there's so many things to think about with it. A lot of, you know what, now you mentioned it, Matt, a lot of lawyers are going to make a ton of cash off this too. Yeah. Uh, so the the thing is that this could economically be very good for a, a ton of nations and a, a ton of people throughout the world, depending on how it's played out. However, without sounding too skeptical, of uh, our ability to work together. We do have to point out that one of the first possibilities on the horizon, let's say all this ice melts, one of the first possibilities on the horizon is going to be war. Or at least the threat of war, right? The po- the posturing? Well, let's call it, yeah, posturing, rivalry, brinksmanship, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what You know what? Why don't we call it Russia and America too? Oh, God. <laughs> Electric Arctic Boogaloo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's great. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're listening and you're in the UN, please feel free to use that. Just credit our show. The disappearance of ice in the Arctic immediately changes the status quo for Russia and the United States in the following ways, in ways that are very, very good for 
the Federated States of Russia. Moscow suddenly gets access to more than 4,000 miles of Arctic coastline, and that would fundamentally transform Russia from a continental to a maritime power. Russia would have access to all-weather bases and immediately start constructing them, by the way. Yeah, it would be a no-brainer to do that. It would be ridiculous not to do it. This also creates security risk along Russia's northern border, Alaska and Russia being very close together. Uh, and previously, these concerns just didn't apply. They were not applicable because of the area's harsh climate. It's just too much of a pain to, <laughs> to do stuff there. So the prospect of the Arctic Ocean emerging as a new theater of military rivalry – or what, what did you call it, Matt? Um, naughty boats. <laughs> yes. Uh, playing tag. I don't know. <clears throat> of naughty boat tag. There we go. <laughs> that's that's a way to explain board kids. <laughs> of naughty boat tag. Uh, this prospect is being taken very very seriously, not by just the U.S. but by NATO, by Moscow, of course, and they're trying to figure out how they are going to sort this out without entering into uh, what's called a hot war. Yeah, where stuff is actually fired. Right. Well, so where stuff is actually fired uh, from from uh, from one puppet master to the other puppet master. Yeah. So like a proxy war is is occurring in Syria. That's where, that's where the the hands go out and mm. manipulate the other things. Right. And, and proxy, then they fire at each yeah. other. Exactly. Proxy wars in Afghanistan, proxy wars mm. like in Southeast Asia. Uh, these things happen. But this presents a situation where it could possibly be a genuine military conflict the likes of which we haven't seen since World War II. And just if you wanted to have an example of – how important naval bases are to the Russian Federation, uh, Russian Federation of States. Is that how to say it? To, to Russia, um, you just you can look to several years ago in Ukraine and Crimea and the handling of um, some of the shipping and and naval bases that were so important in that region to the country and the actions that were taken to make sure those were secured. Just if you if you want to take those as, as examples, you can understand how important this stuff is. Um, especially if then you multiply it by the scale that it would be in the Arctic. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's an excellent example. And Crimea itself has – it was sad to see that drop out of the news cycle because uh, the story of Crimea itself is fascinating and it, it doesn't it doesn't start, you know, just a few years ago when yeah. Russia invaded. Yeah. Or excuse me, when um, – when some, patriots yeah, some located in Crimea guys. with balaclavas, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, there are people, some of us listening are saying, all right, guys, that's a little alarmist. You're going Cold War on us? You're going Cold War. You're going Hot War yeah. on us? Uh, you're going World War Three on us? Because that's what you essentially implied, right? The problem is that now we are not talking about two nations fighting over a border. And we have not been talking about that sort of thing in in world politics and world militaries for decades. Everybody is crewed up now. Yes. Every country is in some sort of gang to one degree or another. And a war with 
a European country who's a member of NATO means that you're beefing with all of NATO. Yeah. And, and if you are starting a fight with Russia, you're starting a fight with all of Russia's buddies as well. And now that this previously inaccessible part of the world may be up for grabs, everybody wants a piece. We talked about the Arctic Council and those five to eight nations. So that's Canada, the Kingdom of Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, the Russian Federation, Sweden, and the U.S. But again, when we say everybody wants a piece, we mean picture, picture that Gary Oldman gif everyone or everything, (laughs) right? Uh, China, Japan, and South Korea all also want to be involved in Arctic affairs. And China is the, the, the PRC, People's Republic of China, is the biggest player in this game, or at least the most visible about it. China recently declared itself to be a, quote, near Arctic state, which is weird. Yeah. Which is weird because if you look at the scale of um, just, you know, I'll be, I'll be a jerk about it. If you look at the scale of the solar system, every state is a near-Arctic state. <laughs> okay. Or it's like what, what, is, what is not a near-Arctic state? Is, um, is Uganda or the Bahamas, are those not near-Arctic states? Sure, sure, arguably, right? But that's, that's a very relative term. Yeah. You know what I mean? You could you could be you could be like a little north or south of the equator and then call yourself a near Antarctic state because you're closer slightly to Antarctica. There you go. I don't know. I just I think it's I think it's slippery semantics, but they say they're a near Arctic state. And in January twenty eighteen they unveiled their plans for a polar silk route, announcing that the country of China is an important stakeholder in Arctic affairs. I would agree with that because of just the the sheer volume of stuff shipping to and from that country. Yes, and that's exactly what they're interested in. They want to be able to ship everything through there and save that 30% or however much they would end up saving shipping things. And since 2013, they've been – they've had observer status Mm -hmm. in the Arctic Council because they've kind of seen this on the horizon, uh, on the both climate horizon as well as the uh, geopolitical horizon. Uh, So it's just something to keep your eye on for sure. Right. And they've been building influence – in this area for, as you said, Matt, for for some time. But the issue here goes into the question of how closely trade and military action may or may not be related. And when we talked about deals, like mm-hmm. it's not just those countries with the Northeast and the Northwest Passage. It's people making deals with those countries. And in, to this effect, Beijing was talking specifically with Canada and Russia um, to work out some kind of free trade agreement with both of these countries, with uh, some of the Scandinavian nations that are up there to, you know, for China essentially to infuse money into some of the bigger projects that are happening in those areas. Specifically, there's one called the Yamal LNG project, that, which has to do with natural gas and oil, oil capturing uh, through Russia. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are other projects in the U.S. and Alaska that are doing, you know, pretty much the same thing. And uh, and and as well as Canada, and it's just it's China, like you said, Ben, trying to have its seat at the table to get in on the ground floor with these projects as investors to then have a stake in uh, 
other parts of it. Right, right. If the if the legal framework of geopolitics won't work, then surely the financial framework of who owes who money will will deliver, right? There you go. And let's – real quick on the timeline here. According to NASA, global climate models predict the Arctic will be ice-free during the summer months by the middle of this century. Wow. So, so by 2050. And that's very much a ballpark that could be that, – that could mean anywhere from 2040 to 2055, you know? So – It's so weird with timescales because yeah. it feels so long-term and yet mm. that is fully short-term to 2050. Yeah. That's, that is not long at all. Hey, man, you'll probably, you'll probably be here. I don't know. Maybe you should sketch. Go ahead and like book your tickets now. My cruise? For your Arctic uh, <laughs> cruise. You can take it on a Chinese icebreaker, perhaps. Uh, the Snow Dragon 2 and the Snow Dragon 1 have already been created, and there's an expedition scheduled for the first half of 2019. This is also happening in – this is happening in a zero-sum environment. To be absolutely clear, what that means is that there, there's a finite amount of power, there's a finite amount of territory, and there's a finite amount of resource to be extracted. So why, but there are a lot uh, of resources that we'll get into. Right. The annual the economy of this region could exceed $450 billion U.S. But we're, we're bringing up just that point because uh, the government of China has been quick to capitalize on what they see as um, lack of expertise and interest from the U.S., from Uncle Sam, from Washington, D.C. And that's not related to – in on, that's not related to any particular administration. These are, yeah. these are big boy rules. We're talking about the way other countries look at each other. But real politics tells us other countries only care about what's happening domestically in a different country if it will help their bottom line or give them an opportunity to acquire more power and influence on the global stage. Can I use this? Right. Can that's, I use this? That's all it is. Otherwise, why, why are you telling me? Yeah. We have problems of our own, says every country. So resources. That's why. That's, that's yep. ultimately what it comes down to. Almost every time on this show. Yeah. Almost every time. Not every time. Almost every time in history. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, resources. It might be dressed up as values or interest or national we, security. National security or a, someone's religion makes you know gets us in a stink or whatever. But really, ultimately, that's that's all window dressing. It's all a it's all a nice side of ketchup to the the actual fries, which are resources. So yes, there are tremendous shipping and military force projection advantages to controlling the Arctic. But why are those important? Because it boils down to what can you get from there and what can you move across there? That's it. So resources, but why are they so important? Let's get into that right after a quick word from our sponsor. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So here's the thing. You nailed it in one word, Matt. Resources. Every every conflict is about resources, right? We've we've said this before. We don't just mean it in post-World War II. We don't just mean it in terms of like Russia grabbing Crimea or something. Yeah. We mean throughout human history, throughout the span of our civilization, virtually every large-scale conflict has been about resources. Now, it'll be dressed up 
You know, there will be some window dressing, especially yeah. in democracies, right? They'll, they'll be like, oh, it's our values, right? Yeah. Or it's uh, – what, what's another one? It's um, – it, it presents a national security risk. There we go. Or, uh, you know, if you go a little further back, uh, these people's religion is bad to us. Yeah. The, that lumber that's all over there, mm. that has nothing to do with it. That control of the bay has yeah. nothing to do with it. The, the ability to send things down this river because, you know, don't worry about that. Mm. Uh, Catholicism bad. And, of course, religious and – uh, racial discrimination is a real thing. It's also an avenue to justify taking stuff from people. It's a lever you can pull. It's yeah. It's very much it's very, war is very much a stuff oriented thing. Are we too cynical, or is this? I mean, this this feels so real to me, and it, I've seen it happen so many times throughout history. I'm not I'm not being too cynical in these thoughts, am I? Because I really do feel like this is just the truth. I'm the worst person to ask (laughs) (laughs) because I completely agree with you, Matt. I mean, there are – okay, so yes, it's true. There are tremendous shipping and military force projection advantages to having control over all or some of the Arctic, especially the shipping routes. But why are they important? Why? It's not bragging rights. It ultimately boils down to resource extraction. What can we get from there? What can we move across there? In 2008, the U.S. Geological Service estimated that the Arctic alone contains more than 1,669 trillion cubic feet of natural gas reserves. O-M-G. So this amount is massive. It's it's – about 30% of all of the world's remaining supply of natural gas that has not been in some way found, developed, or begun to be extracted. This is um, – that number is almost four times the entire United States reserves that exist right now. And that this number also does not include what are called methane hydrates on the seabed, which can also be converted to a very valuable resource. The addition of this stuff – if it ever becomes cost effective to to extract it, which is a big deal here, which is a huge deal, could boost potential reserves exponentially. In addition, there are probably around forty four billion barrels of natural gas liquids and ninety billion barrels of oil. That's about thirteen percent of the undeveloped oil reserves on the planet in one place. The Geological Service estimates that 84 percent of the Arctic's hydrocarbons are offshore. 60 percent of the Arctic oil is in Russian territory and not just in the territory that the Russian government thinks belongs to it, which is different. Yeah. But in the territory that everybody sort of agrees belongs to it. So according to their surveys, the Russian surveys, 90 percent – more than 90% of the hydrocarbon reserves are located in the Arctic zone of the Siberian continental shelf. And without going into the weeds too much, yeah. this is a commercial powder keg. This could guarantee uh, Russia's seat at the table. One of the criticisms that you'll hear about Russia pretty often is that Russia is pretending to be a world power or a superpower. It's got a lot of domestic problems. As we all do. Again, you know, most other world leaders care about that to the point that it might present an opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it's like, "Eh, not my job, not my problem. Sure. 
And so the criticism that you'll hear about Russia is that they have two things that give them a seat at the table, a nuclear arsenal and gas reserves, okay, hydrocarbon reserves. So if they were able to exponentially increase the amount of stuff that they control in the in a hydrocarbon economy then they also uh, they also increase their prominence and importance and influence in world affairs you know there were times a few years back not so long ago in recent history while we were alive when russia could literally just turn off the gas supply to a large swath of europe just if they wanted to just, you know, like fun. Like, what else are you doing on a Friday? That's power. That is power. That is power. It's not clear, however, yet whether these reserves are – whether it makes sense to get them right now oh, yeah. as of now. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. It's it, building the infrastructure and the having the technology to be able to extract that stuff from the depths where it exists in those cold temperatures and all the all the other factors, even if it begins melting, it's still a tremendous – it would be a tremendous achievement to be able to get that and it would cost so much money, which is one of the biggest problems here. There's this thing called the International Energy Agency or the IEA. We love to, to read those and they believe that – in order to make this economically feasible to do, to extract this, you know, the oil and natural gas here, the average price essentially of oil would have to be around $120 per barrel for the development for this to even work, to, to make – to have it make sense. You can make money back so you're not just throwing money into the Arctic in order to make some back. Right. And for perspective, right now as we're recording it, Crude oil probably averaged around sixty-five bucks a barrel or so in yeah. February of this year. So oil would almost have to double. You got to make some calls uh, to the OPEC big heads and talk to them. I think. Yeah, they're also cutting production, right? Yeah, and Russia's part of the conversation. Oh man, different it, show. Okay. <laughs> so there's also the cost of creating all the infrastructure you need to get this stuff out, right? This is no longer Beverly Hillbilly's land. Huh. Kudos to anyone who got that reference. They will have to build around 1 trillion US dollars worth or 69 trillion rubles worth of stuff to extract this oil, to process it, to make it something that they can sell. And they don't have – this country, Russia, does not have – the technology, so far as we know, to exploit those deep water deposits yet. Additionally, a lot of the stuff they do have to, you know, to extract energy from this part of the world was not designed to cope with this part of the world melting. Yeah, it's designed to be in the frozen areas. You can see some – that thing that we mentioned a little earlier, the Yamal LNG project, you can actually see images of what uh, some of the some of it looks like, and it is just built on essentially ice. I mean, it is just built on ice inside ice. And if that were all to melt, it would it would quickly change how that how that whole system functions, how that facility functions. Um, it could create a a large issue. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's going to be a liminal space. There's going to be a transition period. 
Earth does not work on uh, on light switches. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's going to happen is that stuff will stuff will begin to melt, and eventually, when it melts to a uh, to a high enough degree, there will be avenues to access this hidden oil, these hidden hydrocarbons. But before it reaches that point, it's it'll just be muddy, and things will be not quite accessible. But all the stuff we built before will not work. Yeah. So there's going to be this worse before it gets better scenario, and that's when the that's when the series of battles will start. These will be happening concurrently. The battles already started in the courtroom. That's where a lot of international battles start. Primary disagreements here, as you already point out, Matt, concern what we think of as international waters and what we think of as sovereign waters or territory controlled by a single nation. Or, and I'm calling it now, eventually, a single corporation. Mm. So conflicting claims to the Arctic date back to at least 1925 when Canada said that, all right, we're going to say our maritime border extends to cover everything from 60 degrees west to 141 degrees west and then northward all the way to the North Pole. And the North Pole, remember, this is 1925. So the North Pole had just been reached in 1909, and Canada was like, let's get on it. Yeah. So they also claim these various channels and straits that constitute what we call the Northwest Passage are part of its internal waters, not international. You want to travel on this road, you have to play with us. The U.S. and other countries have argued that that this is complete malarkey. Yeah. This is an international waterway. You have to let us go free and unencumbered which means we can come and go as we please. The, this is one example. There are a ton of other examples. Russia's in a lot of them because they control a lot of the coastline. Now the battle has been moving forward symbolically. In 2005, the Russian Arctica expedition, uh, which was the first manned descent to the seafloor beneath the North Pole. And this is baller, by the way. <laughs> they planted a Russian flag made of titanium on the Arctic floor at the geographical pole. Wow. That's that's what's up. I thought it was – yeah, I thought it was a power move. The U.S. and Canada <laughs> and Denmark thought so too, but they didn't think it was cool. No. And uh, the Kremlins, they, they said, what are you doing? You can't – just say this belongs to you. And, and the Kremlin said it was not asserting sovereignty. And uh, this is where we found this excellent caddy quote from Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. We're not throwing flags around. We just do what other discoverers did. The purpose of the expedition is not to skate whatever rights of Russia, but to prove that our shelf extends to the North Pole. By the way, on the moon... It was the same. Like, like, whoa. Remember when you planted that American (laughs) flag on the moon? (laughs) It's just because we got here first. Come on. Like, we sent a submersible down, and we put a giant, awesome titanium flag down there. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's strange, but these symbols are important, right? They are. They really are. And that's why in Antarctica— you can still get a passport stamp from Great Britain or something or you or, or these countries will operate post offices. Mm-hmm. So what happens when the weather warms? It brings hotter wars. Historically, the Arctic Ocean has not been a significant military theater for the U.S., which means it's not a place where we put our weapons of destruction and our weapons of war. At the height of the Cold War, U.S. and Soviet ballistic missile submarines hid below the polar ice caps – 
and you know played this game of uh, cat and mouse, right? It's, you know, the it's the you can at least harken back to images of Hunt for Red October, right? Right, and that's a good call. And both sides did have early warning networks, and they had armies defending them. But these early warning networks had, while they had anti-submarine equipment and armament, the main thing they were looking out for was a way to know as soon as possible if a missile had been launched because the biggest significance of the Arctic for both sides of the Cold War was this. It is. It was the shortest shipping route for boats, right, if you could get rid of the ice. Big deal, yeah. But it's the shortest flight path for an ICBM or intercontinental ballistic missile and other nuclear missiles. So if, if a missile is fired from Russia to the U.S., that's how it's going to get – that's the shortest way for it to get there. Or from Alaska to or, the Russian Federation. Or from Alaska to the Russians, yeah. Or from – any submarine that's hanging out in the Arctic Ocean, right? Yeah. <laughs> so in recent years, the increase uh, in temperature across the Arctic has diminished that polar ice cap. As you said, Bet, the Northeast Passage right now uh, in Russia's Arctic seas can, can be used for two or three months of the year and even longer if you have an icebreaker like China does, like Russia does. Canada's Northwest Passage is not near as posh. It's shallow, it's prone to getting clogged by ice, but it too has seen some more commercial traffic because there's less and less ice around. And now the Arctic Ocean, because of this warming, is emerging as the next place where people – well, I say people – where uh, the Russian government and the U.S. government are going to butt heads. It is preposterous that this is not a bigger deal right now because Russia controls the board. That's what makes it different. Russia is way more qualified and way more competent for any kind of in, – when in regards to any kind of conflict here in this area of the world. Well, yeah, if you look at the – you just think about the naval fleets of the U.S. and then you think about the the land area of Alaska, which is the only U.S.-controlled territory up there. If you just look at a picture of the Arctic Circle and think about that alone, then think about just the history of of operating up there. And then all of the naval, you know, a lot of the Pacific fleets, the, mm -hmm. you know, the different fleets the U.S. has, it's just a whole different game. And Russia has been doing it for a while. Yes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. According to Andrew Holland, who is CEO of the American Security Project, the Arctic is the only theater of operations where the U.S. Navy is outclassed by a peer competitor. Russian surface warships have demonstrated the ability to carry out complex combined operations in the high north, while the American Navy maintains a policy that only submarines operate above the Bering Strait. Well, there you go. Complex combined operations. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, Holland, if you're listening, no offense. I just like that voice. So, yeah, since 2008, Russia's Arctic development has been, at least according to the Pentagon, assertive force posture with constant military drilling and, quote, provocative air maneuvering. Hmm. So Russia has four different fleets, Baltic, Pacific, Black Sea, and Arctic. The Arctic fleet or northern fleet has 80 ships 
35 of those are submarines and others are surface ships led by a battle cruiser. But over the last decade, it's been increasingly expanded. It's been improved. Starting in 2012, it's regularly patrolled a 2,000-mile stretch of the northern sea. And more importantly, Russia operates a fleet of 40 icebreakers. That's 40. 40. More icebreakers than the rest of the world icebreaker fleet combined. Sounds familiar to the U.S. when you just think about uh, defense spending and that kind of thing and, and how, air, how aircraft dwarf. carriers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then, well, we do have icebreakers. We have three. <laughs> Uncle Sam has three icebreakers uh, and they need a lot of help. Like the icebreakers themselves. Yeah. So if a war breaks out, if a physical or hot war does break out over disputes in the Arctic, it will almost certainly become a global conflict. NATO will be involved. The dominoes will start to fall as the U.S. alone would be outclassed, right? And then we would see other countries who are aware of this, hungry for the opportunity, uh, would also insert themselves in some way because – Chaos is a uh, chaos is fertile soil for opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Military planners envision rivalry and perhaps conflict between NATO powers, the U.S. and Russia. But eventually, they say China will get in the game because uh, that country is very, very sensitive to resource acquisition and can detect minerals from miles and decades away. Yeah, they. They know where it is. They know it exists and they're going to find a way to be a part of it. And right? It, That's the idea. Right. And the, the same sort of stuff is happening in Antarctica. If current economic projections hold true, there are going to be some very dangerous times ahead. Yeah. Especially for uh, the, the average person, right? There are going to be global busts of economies. Bubbles will pop. And if that happens, that's going to make different – different countries increasingly desperate to obtain control and sovereignty over these things. And that means the economic disaster could accelerate this timeline. Climate change is already accelerating it. Sure, changing temperatures, whatever you want to call them, are already accelerating it. But the economic stuff could be even more uh, powerful on this timeline because what what was that number? $120 a barrel? Is that when it becomes? 125 120 yeah, something like that. Okay. So what if it just spikes and one day, one day it's uh, 190 a barrel? Then everybody's going to be trying to get in Then there. the drilling starts tomorrow. Yeah. That's what happens. You know, wow. Okay. So that's where we are right now with this. Um, you know, one thing I was wondering about as we were researching this was Denmark and Greenland. Because if you look at a map and you see how large Greenland is and how much ice covers that that uh, piece of land, mm-hmm. it ju- and there are resources there, mm-hmm. a lot of resources. If that also melts, it, it makes me wonder if someone eventually, one of these superpowers eventually invades Denmark's control at least over mm-hmm. uh, Greenland, um, something like that. Because, you know – and we've, we only barely touched Antarctica in this episode because we've talked about it so many times before. But as Ben said right at the end there, it's, it's the same thing. That's a huge continent. And if some of that ice is melting, no matter how high the water is rising, um, we're going to be trying to get over there and discover things and find more resources because they're there. We be not just uh, Uncle Sam or not just, just humans. humans. 
Yeah. We also being you, you and me. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to be down there trying to get as much uh, titanium to make more flags as we possibly can. Whether you are a president, a peasant, a prime minister, or a pioneer, one thing is for sure. Everyone is waiting for the day that the ice melts and doesn't come back in winter, which is which is a scary thing. The the they and the stuff they don't want you to know for today's episode is multidimensional. I mean, there there are companies that don't want you to know the ongoing negotiations they're having with their own governments. There are military contractors who don't want you to know the kind of stuff they're building, uh, and. There are, of course, governments who don't want you to know what they're planning, especially if you work for another government. Yeah. It always reminds me of that story or that that old proverb, you know, when elephants make war, only the grass suffers. The majority (laughs) of humanity is the grass here. Just getting trampled. Just getting trampled, quite possibly. Or who knows, maybe maybe our species will say what's the best way to – um, what what's the best way to normalize this and create a situation where there's not a global catastrophe? And that's that's quite possible. I mean, no one really wants a third world war. No, people want managed conflicts and ways to assertively negotiate their their way to the biggest slice of the pie, whatever the pie's ingredients are. And sometimes you fight. We'll yeah. see what happens. And increasingly, hydrocarbons in that pie are not as uh, lucrative or interesting. Yeah, at, at present, you know. In the moment, yeah. In the moment. <laughs> and that goes into whether or not technology is being suppressed and that goes into um, whether or not we're getting real numbers about the petrol industry in general. But those are sh- stories for another day. If we wanted to end on a, a less dystopian, <laughs> scary note, uh, we can tell you that you can travel as a private citizen to Antarctica. From an environmental perspective, it's a fascinating place to visit, or so we hear. Uh, you do get price breaks if you travel in a group. We highly recommend that because it's quite expensive. And it's something you would have to save up for. But hey, it's a that's a cool goal if you can achieve it. Once in a lifetime experience, yeah. If you don't feel like saving up the money, but you feel like uh, spending a lot of time there, it is remarkably. I, I don't want to say it's too easy, but it's remarkably less difficult than I thought to get hired as a you know like a cook or a support staff in a research station. Do it. And then uh, write to us like every day. Make a make mm-hmm. a diary. Tell us who you think the hidden alien is. <laughs> oh, or do you want to start a podcast? Go on that journey, and then yeah. we'll just we'll start a new podcast with you. Um, speaking of people going on that journey, one last thing before we close today's episode: uh, Flat Earthers are launching a trip to Antarctica. Matt, did you see that? Yes, they are going to figure out once and for all whether or not. This earth is flat and whether or not you can reach the end of the earth. And uh, they're going to go down there to find you know, essentially the Game of Thrones wall basically. But if on the other side of the wall there was nothing, mm-hmm. just space essentially, right? It's the ice wall. It's supposed to, uh, it's supposed to be several thousand feet thick and it goes 164 feet high perhaps. And it's this thing that rings the entire planet. And there's a group of people who are going to be there soon. They're they're taking off soon, allegedly. Right. The supposed ice wall is a couple thousand feet thick. 
164 feet high and surrounds the planet. Uh, this is planned for next year, for 2020. It's organized by the Flat Earth International Conference, or FEIC. And just so you know, according to this article from The Sun, which is uh, – oh, excuse me. Yes, it's an original article posted by The Sun that was in the New York Post. Uh, YouTube star Logan Paul, the guy that everybody just loves, he says he wants to find the facts and also join them. So yeehaw. Yeehaw indeed. Maybe, maybe our boy is going to be there. Who's our boy? Uh, the rapper that we talked about. What's his name? B.O.B.? Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe he'll be there as well. Yes. Uh, and maybe you will be there if you're listening. If so, we'd love to hear about your adventures. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you live in the northern climes, we'd love to hear more about your experiences do you feel like this is alarmist? Do how, how quick do you feel the ice is or is not melting? And how do you see things changing in a world without northern ice? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can talk to our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners, on our Facebook page. Here's where it gets crazy. We're a conspiracy stuff show at Instagram, and you can find me at Ben Bolin on Instagram. If you don't want to do that stuff, you can leave us a voicemail. Call 1-833-STDWYTK. There's a three-minute cap there for uh, per message, so you may have to leave numerous ones. Or, you know, make it brief. Do whatever you want to do. It might be used on the show. Tell us explicitly if you don't want it on the air. Yes, and also be specific about your name if you don't want certain parts of your name used or anything like that. Uh, you And also, fair warning, you might get a call from me. Uh, to ask you if we can use a certain part or just to get some clarification on what we can or cannot use. Uh, so apologies in advance. <laughs> All right. If you don't want to do any of that stuff, just send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.